Hey, in our podcast today, we're going to talk about what Alexis de Tocqueville said was the strength of America, and you're not going to believe it. He said our women are better than any women in the world. Why are they better? What makes them so strong? What makes America and family and marriage so strong? And what are the economic impacts uh, of when we get our marriages and families centered in a biblical view? Uh, we're going to talk about that in our podcast today. Hey, welcome to the Ron Johnson Discipleship Podcast. This is our daily or actually weekly attempt to rescue the world from <laughs> insanity and chaos. And uh, boy, we have a great topic to talk about today. It's amazing how uh, the biblical worldview, uh, we, I used to say this all the time when we were teaching young people, the biblical worldview is the truest, most accurate, most vivid picture of ultimate reality and leads to the greatest blessed life and uh, and this book is just helping us to, to kind of get our brains around that right. as we talk about all the different uh, aspects of really what makes America exceptional. And it's not about gender, race, ideology, any of those kinds of things. Um, like Americans are superior. It really is about worldview. Yeah. And, and again, once once again, we take the idea of a nuclear family for granted. We take monogamy for granted, and and what this book and this chapter particularly is connect us from monogamy, okay, for like a, a, a strong nuclear family to economic prosperity, right? Right. right. <clears throat> what what led America to its resurgence or, or surging to the top of the heap, so to speak? In fact, yeah. this chapter is called Family. Why did America <clears throat> surge ahead of Europe? And we sit here every week, go wow, because it's so eye opening to us as he kind of comes from a a different culture right. and, and helps us to see things maybe we as Americans have taken for granted just because it's, it's the way things are. Right. So <laughs> here's a good lead. Um, he begins by uh, quoting a great book, uh, a long book, a two-volume classic called Democracy in America by Alexis de Tocqueville. Uh, de Tocqueville wrote this book four decades after the bloody French Revolution. He was in America. He was kind of looking at the postpartum. Of course, the French had gone through a bloodbath, and it was a disaster. America had just the opposite effect. America yep. was prospering, becoming a superpower, uh, an economic superpower. And, and this is what he said. And I, I was shocked by this. Uh, he said, I have recorded so many considerable achievements of the Americans. If anyone asks me what I think the chief cause of the extraordinary prosperity and growing power of this nation, I should answer that it is due to the superiority of their, if you had to do a fill in the blank, yeah. the superiority of their, I would not have got this answer no, right. No, I would not think of all the military might or economic <laughs> prowess or ingenuity. No, Strength it's of not. their men. Right, no. But he said the superiority of their women. Wow, that's amazing, yeah. Now, you know, Let's talk a little bit about what was what was his. I mean, why did what was so unique about American women? How, how were American women different from French women? I mean, women are women, aren't they? What's the difference? Well, first you you gotta consider uh, the superiority of fifty percent of your population will make a difference in economic prosperity, right? Oh, will make a difference in the strength of your nation, right? If half your population is diminished or minimalized or or marginalized, right, you're going to be struggling economically. You want a nation to be strong. You want fifty percent of your population to be innovative, uh, strong, growing. Sure, sure. Uh, so if you uh, right. somehow. Uh, Put a cap, or you you limit the ability for women to 
be free yep. to ex explore their, you know, creativity, to use their gift. Use your gift, yeah. Then you're putting a lid on it, like you said, half yep. your population. Absolutely. So he goes on to say <laughs> this. He said, in almost all Protestant nations, girls are much more in control of their own behavior than among Catholic ones. The independence is even greater in those Protestant countries, such as England, which have kept or gained the right of self-government. He says, in such cases, both political habits and religious beliefs infuse a spirit of liberty into the family. In the United States, Protestant teaching is combined with a very free constitution and a very democratic society, and in no other country is a girl left so soon or so completely to look after herself. Now, this is, you know, we could almost interpret that as neglect, like we, Americans don't care about their their, no. their daughters, yeah. but just the opposite. He said, because of the infusion of the Constitution and, and laws that create a, a an even playing field and, and actually punish wicked behavior, such as rape or adultery or some of these other things, yeah. Divorce, that, yeah. you know, women yeah. were, were ennobled and had an opportunity to experience more freedom in their lives than in, say, in, in Europe, which is largely Catholic, or then we can go over overseas into uh, right. Islamic countries or, or Asian countries that have completely different worldviews, like the Hindus that she talks about. And so he went on to say, certainly of all countries in the world, America is one in which the marriage tie is most respected and where the highest and truest conception of conjugal happiness has been conceived. So basically he said it was the Americans' view of marriage, and which was biblical, yep. and correspondingly the their, their, their high view of women, <clears throat> which enabled the American family to be so strong and healthy and which led to economic prosperity and blessing. And what a great insight, right? So, so to connect the dot, biblical worldview on marriage and family, on the unity, the covenantal, healthy marriage, monogamous marriage, yep. led to a prosper prosperous family, nuclear family, that led to a prosperity of a nation. And that's basically what he, he connected the dots that way. Right? And, and, yeah, and he could look at what's <laughs> happening in Europe where most men were not getting married. Most men were living in uh, illicit sex, yep. uh, where women were being used, where women were subjugated, where women well, did married, not... but they have, the men had mistress, or they have affairs, or they just divorced their wife because they got you know they got sick of them, or whatever there is. Right, or the wife was mistreated yep. and, and uh, not cherished, or loved, or, or valued. Yep. Uh, so this whole idea of a biblical view of womanhood and a biblical view of marriage and family, as you said, monogamous, which. Uh, as he points out, that idea was, was a Christian idea. It wasn't even a Jewish idea because we read through the Old Testament, and, uh, and even though God revealed Himself and uh, in, in Genesis, Adam and Eve, and leave and cleave, and all that. I mean, the, the principles for monogamy are there, but it wasn't practiced. Right. by the Jews, but it was the Christians who really took God's word seriously in that regard and right. and implemented a monogamous marriage, one man, one woman, in covenant for life. Right. I mean, right now in the world today, monogamy is pretty standard throughout laws and traditions and what's seen as good. But again, that's not the norm. If you look at the history of the world, um, polygamy is the norm, right? Throughout right. all cultures, right? And, and again, Connect the dots. What does polygamy do to the nuclear family and how that affects the society at large? It's destructive, right? right? right. And that's why most nations, after they've seen the light, 
in, in which Protestant has brought monogamy into into in the greater discussion. They're like, oh, we can't go back from monogamy. Um, don't get me wrong, sin has a ways of creeping in, and maybe you'll come <laughs> back one day. But everyone can see how powerful monogamy is from the objective levels yeah. in strengthening well, a society. Well, I, I love, because he's, he's uh, Indian, right? So right. he says as late as the 1990s, there was yeah. a, an Indian politician yep. who had 49 wives. Wow. Now. How do you have 49? I'm, I'm tr- we're, we're having a growing number of grandkids in my household, and I'm just trying to make sure I keep up with all their names. Like, how do you yeah. keep up with 49 wives? Well, you don't. Well, that's just it. It's very you neglect impersonal. them. Yeah. yeah. So, so again, the nuclear flame is so destroyed. So you got a bunch of fatherless kids, and you got a bunch of wives who are unhappy because they're not being loved well, and then it just cascades on and on generationally. Well, right? like you say, you got 49 wives. If each of your 49 wives have 49 kids, uh, I mean, overall. Or just one kid. <laughs> that's what I'm saying, just one kid. Yeah. I mean, how do you even know uh, who your kids are, let alone your grandkids? I mean, it, it, it destroys any kind of intimacy in the family. Absolutely. And, yeah. and that could create all kinds of problems. I think we, if we could go through the Bible, we could see David and others had great problems because <coughs> of they, they were really neglectful parents. I mean, look at the problem with Joseph, yeah. his brother, stepbrothers. Uh, look, look at, I mean, on and on, you know, uh, Jacob, I mean, Isaac and Ishmael. I mean, on and on. Polygamy is not good news throughout the Bible and in reality, okay? Absolutely. So, yeah. so hey, this is good. We yeah. cracked up about this. So, And I've been to India before. You know, uh, there, it is a very much gender-segregated kind of culture even today, even in the churches. And I, I'm always amazed. Here's, on the left side, here sits all the men. On the right side, here sits all the women. And I w- would ask, you know, our contacts, like, how come you don't sit by your wife? It was just hard for me to understand and and they make the the comment in here that uh, they called Westerners immoral, and he said, "Well, why are we immoral?" And he said, "Well, because you walk in public and you hold hands with your wife. That's immoral. It's because you drive your sister-in-law to the grocery store and she sits on the back of your scooter. It's because you don't have your your women's faces veiled. You're immoral." Mm-hmm. And and his his brother, the author's brother, takes these guys to challenge to, to task, and. Um, he said this, he says, you don't allow your wives to uncover their faces in front of your fathers and brothers because you trust neither your father nor your brothers nor your wives. He said, you chain your wives to your kitchens and imprison them behind their veils because you are immoral. <laughs> and, he wow. said, yeah. and he said, when his brother said that, he goes, they all said, it's right. It's true. Yeah, everyone agreed. So, so the reason you hide your wife in, your, in a kitchen is not because she's supposed to live in a kitchen the rest of her life and have no other life outside the kitchen. The reason you hide her behind a veil is because you don't want the other men in your culture who are perverts just like you yep. um, to take your wife or to abuse your wife or to mistreat your wife. And so you hide her, you cover her, and you and you call that morality. But it's not morality at all. It's really a, a veil of your immoral culture because of the way you view women and mistreat women. And they had no response for that other right. than, you're right. Yeah. So it's interesting how the perception is this is traditional morality. But in reality, it was slavery. Uh, and it was a mistreatment of women and, uh, and a shielding uh, and hiding of women. And I thought, wow, that was... That was incredible. It's, it's, it reminds me of when the Pharisees accused Jesus of not following the law, and Jesus pointed out, what is the spirit behind this, these laws? Okay, I'm obviously a woman dressing very provocatively, drawing attention to herself. That's beyond, over, that's over the line, right? Right. right. But, there, but the, the heart behind all of this is like, do you trust your wife? And do you trust your brothers? Yeah. And, and do you trust, is there a basic level of trust so that we're not 
producing all these procedures to create morality, but really it's to protect your lack of impulse control, your lack of your your to really to restrain your immorality, right? right. So well, seeing through the veil into the truth. Right? Exactly. It, it, all that appears to the eyes is not is not true or real, yeah. you know. And again, we've been raised in a, our culture has its own problems. I'm not picking picking on any culture, but the times that I've been to India and I've worked with national leaders over there, you know, I am walking with my wife. I'm holding her hand. She's by my side. I'm opening the car door for her, for her things like that. And, and my heart grieves because I watch a national leader who's walking and his wife is literally 10 yards behind him. Mm -hmm. And she's trying to keep up and he's oblivious to her, oblivious to her needs. Obviously, she's not feeling cherished. Obviously, she's not feeling honored. But it is a cultural veil because that's not that's not how they were raised, and that's not how uh, right. uh, how they've Im implemented, I guess, biblical principles. Whereas that's something that's the culture we grew up in: honoring your wife, open the door for her, have her by your side, not behind her, uh, treat her with respect, introduce her. You know, as a, sometimes again, there's no <coughs> no even introductions right. uh, because it's just oh, that's just my 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 wife. Right. Uh, it is a it is a cultural blind spot. Um, that keeps keeps their marriages not so great, and certainly doesn't honor uh, women in public or esteem women in public. Well, I just think from like okay, so even last night, my wife and I, we got a whiteboard and we charted out our vision and our uh, our, our goals for the rest of the twenty twenty three. I love that about you, by the way. I know Matthew can say amen to this, and anybody on our team. Yeah. This is the whiteboard man, and when you magic happens yeah. when you have a whiteboard. Right, a whiteboard is so my, you're, my you're favorite secret weapon. You're even implementing the right. whiteboard at your house. No, I'm trying to. Yeah, <laughs> I love it. I'm doing. I'm trying to do my do it with my no, wife. Well, I didn't yeah, interrupt you. But I'm just, no, I find that to be very. Yeah, funny. I enjoy it yeah. because really, you know, when you have a bird's eye view, you can't win the war unless you see the strategy. You see the war field, right? Yeah. And not that I'm fighting a literal battle right now, but you know what I was doing is I was trying to cultivate the the dreams and gifts of my wife. But you included her. Oh, she yeah, she's alone. So we made some goals for our family, for our kids, and then we did goals for myself and for her. But the most fun part for me was her because we took that time and we energy and we focused like what's really on your heart for 2023? We're not talking about forever. Just rest of this year. What is your dream? What's your vision? Because as her husband, my one of my greatest assignment is to cultivate her biggest dreams and her goals so she can okay, reach time her fulfillment. Out. Yeah. Time out. Because... Right. You're you're throwing off some great stuff right here, but right. I just want to put it in context. Like right. that view yeah. is distinctly Christian. Absolutely. I mean, we, Christian. we even he talks yeah. in the book about Rousseau, who who yeah. was, you know, the French uh, philosopher. Yeah, the the Enlightenment. Yeah. He, founder he his or whatever. view of women yeah. were women were unfinished men. Yep. The Hindu view of women is that you somehow your karma sucks. Yeah. And so you come back yeah. and you get to be a woman and you get to be a slave for yeah, men. Yeah, work hard and next, yeah. next yeah. incarnation next, you might next be a man. Next reincarnation. So, yeah. I mean, yeah. you look, right. it's funny to me, it's really sad how, how uh, liberals in America and feminists have attacked the Bible as it somehow suppresses women or mistreats right. women when it's really the Christian idea of women made in the image and likeness of God, right. co-equal with a man. <laughs> And then, the, then Pentecost comes, right? I'm going to pour out my spirit on all flesh, men and women. So, I mean, the Bible, and, and Jesus in particular, raises the, the view of women. Yeah. And what you're talking about here is a Christian view of marriage. You, as the Christ figure, serving your wife, developing your wife, honoring your wife, dreaming with your wife, right by your side. I mean, this is not just, you know... 
the American dream or something. This is this is uniquely Christian. And when you practice it like this, I mean, it brings unity. It brings strength in your relationship. It it, it extends to your children. Right. And here you're saying, how do I develop what you mentioned or at the start of this podcast? How do I develop the other 50% of our population? Absolutely. Uh, and even as it relates to the church, what are we doing to develop women and the gifts that are in women to be used for the glory of God right. instead I mean, of suppressing it? So anyway, I just, so right. how did the, how this all end? I'm excited. No, it's great because, you know, she was trying to figure out like what's really on my heart and I get to pepper her questions and say, hey, what is your dream? Like, do you want to take some voice lessons? Do you want to do some of these other things? You know, you want to call cultivate, whatever it is we end up talking about. But the point is, that was fun, and that was very vision-driven. And I was going to say that, the vision, how I got the idea came from the Bible. You know, Christ, love the, your wife like Christ loved the church. And what did, church, what did Christ did? He came, he didn't just give his life for us. He did that, but he came to cultivate us. He wanted to bring out the best in who we are so we can be most like him. So my Reading that, my direct interpretation is my, one of my greatest call in my life is that my wife fulfill her greatest potential. She's there to say, hey, Andrew, I'm going to help you fulfill your greatest potential. I'm like, you know how you want to help me, how, how I can fulfill my greatest potential? Is help you fulfill your greatest potential. Well, and it goes back and forth, back and forth. And in marriage class, we talk about the crazy cycle, but the crazy cycle could actually work for good. You know, crazy cycle for bad is I'm worried about my needs and I want my wife to meet my needs. And and why don't you, what about me and me and me and me and yeah. me? And I, and, and then in the process, she's going, well, what about me? And it right. just gets to be this downward cycle of narcissistic mess. Been there, I've been there before. Yeah, yeah. well, we all have. Yeah. We all have. Yeah. But but it's a beautiful thing when you say, wait a minute, let me focus as the Christ figure in this marriage. Let me focus on how I can minister to my wife. Honey, what are your dreams? What's in your heart? Oh, yeah. What would you like to do? And when you're doing that, she's like, oh, no, no, no. What would you like to oh, do? Yeah. I mean, it's this beautiful cycle of service. It energizes me because it's given me a purpose and a vision, which I'm telling you, for the husbands out there, you might not even feel this or know this. Your greatest call, your greatest fulfillment is to lay your life down. It, guarantee for a worthy cause, not for some stupid cause, for a worthy cause for your wife and your kids, for your culture, for your kingdom of God, for, for the church, for, for, the, for your nation. Like, but start by laying your life down for your family, right? Yes, yes. That you will feel so fulfilled, so energized when you start to do that. So anyways, so, so I'm just saying, but that view came directly from reading the Bible. Right. It came from nowhere else. It's not like Andrew had just a great idea because I'm a great guy. Nope. It came from strictly from what Paul says about the purpose of husband so, and marriage. So we could highlight all these different world yeah. religions. And obviously we talked about Hinduism, but I love the author because he also, in a humorous way, only yeah. it's only humorous because it's so ridiculous, but he highlights uh, Muhammad, mm -hmm. the prophet, and Islam, and he tells a story, and this is all, you can read all of this, this is historical, this is not uh, somebody's commentary, but the prophet goes to his adopted son's home to see his adopted son, and his wife opens the door, and when he sees his wife, he starts lusting after her beauty. And he's, he won't even come into the house yep. because he's so, uh, as we would say, he, he's aroused, all right? Mm -hmm. um, and his adopted son, who is obviously, you know, worshiping him and adoring him, says, look, I'm going to, if you want my wife, I'll, I'll divorce her and you can, you can take her on as your wife. Well, he says, we can't do that because that would be incest and then I would be violating the law, right? Mm -hmm. And so Muhammad goes and seeks you know, seeks God about the situation and gets in a trance. And surprisingly, <laughs> God gives him 
a new law, yep. new revelation, a new revelation that is put into the Quran that he can actually marry uh, a family member, and mm -hmm. for him it's not incest. And uh, and it's funny because the, this uh, this uh, adopted son's wife says, "Wow, how quickly the the gods speak to you." You know, no, it's his, his own wife. His oh, own, was that yeah, his own? Wife? His own wife, because he's got other wives already. Right? Uh, yeah, so she's like, "Wow, I, that's amazing! How fast I, I the Lord gives you fresh revelation yeah. to confirm your own." Perverted lusts and desires. Now, now we know Muhammad was a man like the rest of us. He's a sinner. Uh, there's not a human being, at least a man on planet Earth, that does not, uh, at some point in life, deal with lust or covetousness or uh, or uh, ungodly <coughs> desires. And so Muhammad is just like the rest of us. But it's amazing how religion is used as a cover up to. You know, basically justify right. the perverted desires of men. And that is what religion is. It's right. it's man-made ways to to please God. But but in that scenario, okay, let's talk talk about the value of women. Okay, let's talk about the value of uh, Aisha. I think it's Muhammad's wife. Yeah. How she felt when he's like, oh, I'm going to marry someone else. Let's talk about the value of this this lady he ended up marrying and how he just, she got quickly divorced by her his his adopted yeah. son. For that, sex. For, for, because he found her attractive. Again, how it values women. Now, contrast that with biblical understanding of sexuality and marriage, which says, do not cover your neighbor's wife. And then Jesus says, if you lust after a woman, the same thing as coming. Yeah, so so let's go back even to Roman times. You know, uh, It's amazing how sex is used as a means for worship. Yep. So we have, even in the Bible days, we have temple prostitutes everywhere, male and female. Yep. So homosexual, sex, uh, uh, you know, prostitute sex, whatever, uh, male and female. Um, in fact, even in Roman times, this was interesting. The author points out that the reason uh, adultery was punished so strongly was not because of it was sexually immoral, but because your wife was viewed as property. Yeah. yeah so if right. you sleep with another man's wife, you're actually taking his property. So it wasn't that there was anything wrong with having sex with another person's another person that wasn't your wife. It was if you had sex with someone else's wife, you, you know, you were taking Stealing what belonged to him. Right. It had no no concern at all for the woman. Right. Um, and so he makes the point that some Roman women would actually volunteer to have their name on the temple prostitute role so that they could commit adultery and not be punished for it. I mean, it, it, it's so perverted. Right. But we see this, you know, when, when you go over to uh, India, there's famous temples, and he alludes to them, famous temples that were ba basically shrines for sex. Right. That all the artwork was sexual, you know. I mean, uh, and it, but it was, it was a form of worship. Right. And there was nothing the matter with it. It was a way of cleansing your soul in, in the Hindu right. understanding. And there's a myth going on like sexual liberation liberates women. No, if you study history over and over again, sexual liberation imprisons women. It yeah. does not liberate, it does not so elevate. So let's talk women. about why. Why was homosexuality, for instance, so huge in the Roman culture and in most decadent cultures? Mm -hmm. um, if a man can be satisfied sexually mm -hmm. without committing to a woman, mm -hmm then what incentive does he have to marry anyone or to have children yep. or to settle down and have a home? If he can make money and pursue his dreams yep. and have sex, whether it's with a woman or with another or, man, yeah. why, why deal with the hassles of marriage? Right. 
Yeah, because you know, two fallen people trying to be committed, work raise kids, yeah, work on their marriage. It's tough. I mean, this is not easy. So why even bother with it? In fact, there's there's quotes in his book about ancient philosophers who basically said, you know, women are tough creatures to be married to. Yeah. Um, you know, yeah, because you're a selfish man and she's a selfish woman, and you're going to have to work it out. And only Jesus makes it really work. So you can see cultures where even in American culture today, I I feel really really badly for especially Christian young women who are single, because men today, you know, and let's just say that even whether it's not sleeping with a real woman, a man could engage in a fantasy level with, with a woman in, uh, through all kinds of uh, uh, porn on his phone. He doesn't even have to engage in a woman. Right. He can engage in a woman in a fantasy world vicariously. Yeah. So you got all these men now who have been almost neutered Either their sexual drive is gone because they've exploited it through porn, or they have no desire to get married because of the challenges of real relationships with a real member of the opposite sex. And so you got women that are, you know, looking around trying to find a marriageable man to settle down with, and you got men that refuse to grow up or just say, you know what, I'm just going to make a lot of money and and have sex uh, casually, right. or I'm going to cohabitate, try it out. A lot of people are doing that, and that ends, of course, in total tragedy and disaster because right. it's really not like marriage at all. Um, so you can just see where women are losers, men are losers, and ultimately children are losers, and and your culture loses. Right. I mean, you produce a weak, weak nation. And so, uh, again, the proof is in the pudding. You talked about b- biblical truth. How about the Ten Commandments? You, you shall not covet including right. your neighbor's wife. Yeah. So you're not allowed to look at your neighbor's wife and go, wow, I wish she were my wife, or I wish I could sleep with her. Um, let's talk a little bit, too, about the whole thing of, of uh, childhood brides. You see this in the Islamic world. You see it in the Hindu world. Um, you saw it in the Roman culture, where he points out that it was not unusual for girls who had not even reached the age of, of, uh, of adulthood in terms of uh, menstruation. Uh, girls under the age of 10. In fact, Muhammad's wife, he married one of his wives at the age of six. I mean, what a sick, perverted thing to practice. And yep. yet it was practiced over most of the world. You see it in a lot of Islamic countries today where men are taking <laughs> child brides mm-hmm. who, again, these are like elementary school girls um, and bringing them in. Uh, so they're practicing polygamy uh, and childhood marriage. And again, what was the turn around and changing these laws. It was Christianity, it was the Bible. We're saying no young girl should be brought into marriage as a sexual partner when she's got no choice, she hasn't matured, um, uh, you know, and she's basically being brought in for, for one reason, one reason alone, that's to be a sex, sexual object. So you know, all this whole pedophilia and everything that's going on in our, in our culture today and in the world today, it all stems from this perverted drive in men that the Bible came along and... Uh, and changed. Um, so raising the age of marriage. Um, let's talk a little bit ab- about um, Luther. That was amazing. So you have Catholicism that so, adopted really a kind right. of a Platonic view. So you of, went from pol- polygamy to like celibacy. the highest level of spirituality and devotion celibacy. Right. right? And so just to add, you know, pendulum. So yeah. there, is, there is a place, a noble place for celibacy. There are some people who uh, are called to that, and it is a gift. And the whole idea behind it is they're going to give themselves fully to the Lord and to the ministry. Um, but to suggest that to be a priest or to be a spiritual leader, uh, well, one everybody had to, has the call. Everyone should aspire for that. Well, you don't have the gift. 
for right. example. It right. caused a lot of immorality in the church right? because people can't handle well, it. And we saw, we saw that uh, <clears throat> up to this day, mm-hmm. all the sex abuse scandals that yeah. are happening, especially in the Catholic Church, um, and all throughout history where you had priests that were, that were immoral, priests that were fathering illegitimate kids, priests that were engaged in homosexuality because there were no women around, right? And you had to go find the women. Um, and so you have a massive homosexual problem among priests. Um, all of this because of a distorted, perverted view of what holiness uh, Yeah, and the like. proper place of sex, right? That, that sex is now, women are now are diminished further because seeing as seductress and, and sex is bad. You know, yeah, yeah women were viewed as evil because they were the temptresses, right? Right, right, right. right. Um, and again, again, this is a male projecting his wicked heart right. onto a female right. and then blaming her for why he's lusting. Um, and again, it, it's totally warped and perverted, but he makes the, the, the author makes the point that Luther ha- obviously had a massive impact in the Reformation, but it was not his critique of selling indulgences right. as much as it was his critique of the priesthood. And he said that God's, God created marriage and that marriage was the norm for most people. In other words, most people are called to find a, their partner and to live in a monogamous relationship, uh, covenant relationship, leave, cleave, become one flesh, express your sexual desires, which are godly and yeah. good and pure, and the means by which God you know, created for those desires to be expressed, which was marriage. Yeah, he, he, made the, he, he discovered the point that marriage was created before the fall. Right. Which so it was considered good. Eve was good. Marriage was good. You're right. I love he said he said here, the family, not the monastery, was the divinely ordained school of character. <laughs> so you let's and talk I can about both, that. Yeah. You and I can both appeal to that. I mean first so for me, I mean, if we went from marriage, I, I, I or ha- having kids, how much have I been changed? And if you've been married and you have kids, you know what I'm talking about. I mean, your character molded and shaped. And this is a school that won't leave you, right? Three o'clock in the morning, your baby's up crying. Who's going to get the baby you are? You know, you don't get to be like, well, you know what? I'm going to just quit being a dad for a second. No, you don't get that, right? So, so yeah, this is radical. He, he's basically saying, if you really want to be spiritual, yeah. anybody could run off and hide in, in a monastery. Right. And spend all day long, you know, in worship and prayer and Bible reading, apart from any other human right. being, if you really want to know what you're made of, get married yeah. to another person. You're selfish. They're selfish. You're broken. They're yeah. broken. And they have a bunch of selfish babies who who, who are who just are just need, high needs on everything because they're babies, right? Right. And then see well, how you turn said, out. Yeah. If you want to see like who glows in the dark, who's the most spiritual, yeah. why don't you hear determine who is the first to hear the crying child at three yeah. o'clock in the morning that Absolutely. you're going to get up and tend to the, their needs? That's that's how you really determine who's spiritual. Or when you're having a disagreement, yeah. who chooses the low road? Yeah. Who chooses chooses to serve, who chooses to forgive. This is true spirituality, and Luther nailed it. He said, man, if you want to really be holy and you want to really be like Jesus, get married. Yeah. <laughs> now, again, we're, we're focusing on the, on the struggles of marriage, but as you learn to die and as you let the covenant sharpen you and right. polish you and change right. you, that's when marriage becomes sweet and really beautiful. Well, again, go back to what 
Paul said that marriage, like Christ, lays light down for the church. Now, could Christ want to go on the cross? No, but for, for the joy set before him, right? Right. You, the joy comes after the death, right? right? Same thing for marriage. I mean, after fighting through all these different issues, there is great joy in marriage, and there's great joy in being a dad for, for me, and great joy for my wife for being a mom. But you have to go through paths of death. And I'll be honest, as a young man, I have no idea what that means until I got married. <laughs> Nobody you, does. You, you can act like you do. You can watch YouTube video. You can go to marriage class and listen to everyone else talk about it. <laughs> until you go through the school yourself, you have no clue. Isn't it funny? No Most marriageable guys say, you know, 18 to their 20s, they think that... Their wife is really, really impressed with their six pack. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, they're working on their six pack, and their wife's like, I could care less how many ripples you have in your stomach. Take out the freaking garbage. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah. How about you listen, listen to me, share my heart, focus. Yeah. Hey, and your, listen. your kid needs yeah. his diaper change, yeah. you know, get away from the mirror and go be a dad. I mean, it's just amazing the reality check right. that happens when you, uh, when you step into the covenant of marriage. Right. And, so, and Luther discovered this and he's like, wait, 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 wait. We are, we are elevating something that's causing a lot of immorality and it's causing a lot of, a, a, a lot of a decay in our society because of we're not valuing marriage and family. And he wrote a bunch of books that people want to kill him for. And then, <laughs> but it start changing culture, start changing economics, it start changing society because uh, he was emptying, emptying the monasteries. Yeah. Because people are leaving to become, uh, leaving being a monk or a priest to go get married. Well, he called so the, this, this notion of forced celibacy for the priests yep. uh, the devil's trap, and it certainly was. Uh, because again, I mean, when you're when you're saying that you have to deny a basic God-given desire yep. that God has placed in men and in women for family, for for covenant, for marriage. Um, you're setting yourself up for for horrible temptations. Now, listen. In the time that we have left, we only got a few minutes. He talked about the American girl, and he said America America's strict morals regarding sexuality actually created strong women. Yeah. You know, back in the colonial days, and this is, goes back to Bible. Like, if you committed rape, that was the the death penalty. Yeah. You were murdered. You were. You were. Your life was taken. Executed, yeah. If you committed adultery, your life could be taken because you were destroying uh, a, mar a marriage and a family. I mean, these are pretty strong. Um, premarital sex. You received a fine or public whipping, or you uh, were given an order to marry. Mm, yeah. Like you had sex with this girl and I marry her. Yeah. That created some mega walls of protection around sex. And around women who were the victims of the uh, you know perverted strength of men used yep. to take advantage of them, and what it did too, and then you, you push the marriageable age higher so you yep. allow women a chance to mature, right? And then you empower women because you say, look, you don't have to be married if you want to stay single and pursue your dreams, do it. Yeah. But if you want to be married, you don't have to be forced into marrying that person. You could actually explore whether you were willing to commit yourself to that man for the rest of your life, which meant that women were empowered with a choice uh, with their eyes wide open as to whether or not they wanted to enter into that covenant. They were not forced by a dad or by a mom. Um, 
They were not put it, given into marriage as a, as a young girl with no choice whatsoever. Uh, it was really an empowering thing where they where they willingly chose. And so even in our wedding ceremonies, do you take this man to be right. your lawfully wedded husband, to, to love and cherish till death do you part? And and she's not there going, well, I have to because my dad's forcing me. No, she, she is willingly giving herself to that man. And that man is willingly giving himself to her. Right. I mean, it's a powerful moment, but we take it for granted. In a lot of countries, the daughter, it's a deal between dads and dowries and money and family and alliances, and there's zero... <laughs> Uh, act of volition or choice on the woman's part, and it's it's done for every reason other than than love and marriage. And, and, and what's happening now? That's the American woman, American girl, back a while ago. Right, right, right. Not, now the yeah. modern feminist movement. What's done is you hypersensitize, uh, hyper inflate like the 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 feminist movement and the cause. And what you do is you beat down men. And what you have is you're not getting the results you want because you don't get masculine, strong, gentle, humble men. You get right. men who has who wants nothing to do with these women. Right. So again, going back to monogamy, these men don't want to marry these feminist women no. who's going to diminish them. So the marriage rate decreases once again. And he brings up a good point. <laughs> yeah. The fact that we're creating the image and likeness of God and there's equality does not uh, remove authority. Yeah. The whole reason for authority and structure in the Christian home is because there's two people who are broken and fallen, and uh, and both need the Lord, and both need grace, and both need help. But God says, you know, husband, you're going to lead your wife, and I want you to lead her, though, not in domination, but I want you to lead her, as you've pointed out, I want you to lead her like Jesus. Well, the Bible defines leadership as washing people's feet, washing their feet. So yeah. got to take time to serve serve them, yeah. And I love what you brought out that you know Christ laid down his life for his bride, for her betterment, to wash her and cleanse her, and he's coming back for a bride that's without spot or blemish. So it's not that we're looking at our wives as all spotted and full of blemishes, but what we are doing is our love should cause our wives to come to life. And I appreciate what you shared that we're concerned about what is the dream God's put in your heart? What is the gifts God's put in you? How is our <coughs> life together to be expressed uh, so that both of us, man and woman, husband and wife, both of us reach our full potential in Christ? And so it doesn't negate, you know, there's there's nothing um, unhealthy about the fact that someone is called to lead your home. Um, that's what the Bible teaches. And men, that's what God's called us to do, lead our home. But how we lead our home is really, really critical. And Jesus is the gold standard for that. And I think, again, in the debate right now, what does empowering, empowering and valuing women really look like? The radical feminist has a certain perspective and view. And again, our argument is, again, from the Bible's perspective, there's this beautiful balance of loving your wife but respecting your husband that actually leads to the best empowerment, the most, the, the, the greatest way to value our women. And, and to really defined by the American experiment, as we move away from that, either we're no longer defining what does it mean to be a woman, or we're, we're giving to this radical feminism that we just create these, these very uh, depowered men or, or men yeah. who have lost their ability of respect. None of that works. Right. This beautiful balance that, that the Bible is given is the best formula for us to truly value our women well. And not only our women, but how about the best environment for raising children, yep. for passing on our values? And I like what he talked about on the economic side of things, and this is, this is proven over and over again. When a man commits to a woman 
and they stay together in marriage and they have children, they raise their children in that home. What it does is it teaches a man about integrity and trust. My word is my bond. Yep. You know, I committed to my wife. I said I do. I said I will love you and cherish you. We made a covenant. Now will I be a man of my word? Yep. And because I'm a man of my word in my home, I can be a man of my word in the marketplace. Yep. And you can trust what I have to say. This leads to economic stability because we as I talked about in the morality chapter, if there's no sense of trust in the marketplace, there's no business environment. There's corruption. That's what's happening in America right now. We can't trust anybody or any institution because of the corruption and the lying. So when a man keeps the promise that he made to his wife and keeps the promise that he made to his children and keeps promises in every arena of his life, it creates a high degree of trust, which literally is the currency for economic development. Well, how about this? I care about my kids. I care about their kids. I am not going to create some crazy debt that I never have to pay. I'm I'm planting a tree, not for myself, but for the future generations. That leads to a cultural society of economic prosperity from this idea of generational kids, wife, family. And who would have thought that economic prosperity in a nation could be traced back to the strength and dignity of women. Yeah, that's marriage, what, that's what the, yeah. the Tocqueville noticed. American <clears throat> women are superior. Yeah. Uh, and and as he fleshed out why, he saw the importance, again, of a biblical and Christian understanding of marriage and family. So praise the Lord for that. That's what we get to enjoy. If you wonder why we're so blessed, <laughs> we're helping to tell you yeah. why we're so blessed. And to the degree that marriage is weak, in America, we'll see weakness in our children and weakness in our economy and weakness in our churches and weakness all, all across the board. So uh, let's be committed to strong marriages. That's what we are here at Living Stones, strong marriages. Marriage class, 4 o'clock. Pastor Jerry and Terry would be so happy for, uh, for me mm-hmm. right now. Uh, in fact, you all need to know this. We, we minister to marriages every single week here at Living Stones. So um, come, uh, work on your marriage, strengthen your marriage, focus on your marriage. Uh, it's worth it. It's not only a blessing to you, It's a blessing for all of us as Americans. All right. Thank you so much for joining us. We will see you next Thursday. 